Hello and welcome to another edition of the Formula One Fans UK podcast. I'm Reese, and I'm joined today by... By Tim, only. Only Tim, yeah. Tim has completed his move. He is now back with the podcast. Uh, he didn't try and defect to a Scottish-only podcast, so we're very happy with that one. We are, we are uh, Formula One fans UK, and we now have representatives in both Northern Ireland and Scotland in our, in our team. And... The American got lost. We sent him west of England to go find Wales. He found he found a uh, really North Carolina. So uh, if you're wondering why we have no Welsh representative, it's uh, it's purely the American's fault. Yeah, the American is still part of the team, by the way. I know we haven't seen him for a while. He was here last time. I was here. You weren't. Yeah. Yeah, that's when I wasn't here. So Tim, before we get into it, how's Scotland? Scotland is good. I'm enjoying my new job. Um, Got a lovely big new TV to watch all of the Formula One in HD, and it's a, it's a, it was a lovely experience watching it in in my new living room on my new TV yesterday yesterday afternoon, or yesterday it, evening rather. It must have been nice for you as an Alonso fan to have such a big TV, so you could still just about see Max Verstappen. Oh, I thought you were going to say so I could see a Fernando Alonso's rear end, which. Uh... <laughs> 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 but yes, it was. Um, we didn't actually see, we haven't really seen that much of Max, have we, in race in the races recently? I mean, the show is qualifying that because you know it's going to be absolutely on point, and it, it was again. And then you see him for the first lap and the last lap, and that's oh, and a, and a safety car restart in this instance. Yeah, and then there was also the there was also the uh, the interesting situation where he uh, he hit a curb quite hard and joked that he nearly knocked himself out on a curb. Those curbs, I like the curbs; they really do invite the drivers onto them uh, and it really does add to the risk factor i would have laughed if verstappen had binned it in the wall but with every race this season if verstappen won the race you cannot argue anything but him deserving it one person who did hit a curb then a wall and then later retired he says for an unrelated brake issue but i'm sorry i don't see how you hit your your rear and your front that hard without causing some damage to your brakes uh george russell oh, um not really sure where to start with George, to be honest. It was a bit of a messy afternoon, wasn't it? He was the only man who did it to the extent of actually having to retire during the race. Um, it wasn't even the wall of champions, so that doesn't bode very well for his future, was it? It was a wall around the back of the circuit somewhere. And uh, yeah, it just wasn't, wasn't, wasn't that good a weekend for George generally, was it? They weren't happy with where they were on Friday, I don't think. I think Lewis was more comfortable in the car all weekend by the, from what I saw from the comments. It's uh, it's definitely one of those ones where I think we've, it's hard to compare anyone to Lewis Hamilton on this track because this is a track that he historically goes so well at. I mean, rarely off the podium, rarely fails to finish unless he gets crashed into by Jensen Button. And uh, often, well, the majority of his career has been the winner there, I think. You could say... What is it? Seven or eight wins in Canada? Yeah. Um, is it seven? I think it's seven, isn't it? Which is an insane amount. I mean, I know he's been racing for a long time, but still. Yeah, seven wins on one circuit. I don't think many drivers can claim that in their career to be that good. Yeah, at any at any one track, isn't it? It's, um, it's where Lewis got his first win as well. Not that we're going to uh, reminisce too much about Hamilton's career on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, we try not to. But, but, um, but yeah, it was so good. <laughs> Um, whether where I will give Mercedes credit actually for one session, which was actually the Q3 session, considering that they were 
worried about being much further down the back end of the top 10 to get third and fourth out of the qualifying session and to give themselves that starting position for the race when they said themselves they'd not set up to be fast in qualifying they'd set up with the race in mind it was a very solid last two laps for those two drivers I know fourth and fifth weren't they because of the Hulkenberg penalty but it was still better than it was looking for a lot of the qualifying session to that point it definitely it's trending in the right direction for Mercedes now it's been one of those seasons that you have and you you are you're you're rebuilding you're bouncing back it's what Red Bull was sort of going through in the early Mercedes dominance to the point where I reckon next season we still see Red Bull dominance but I reckon that Mercedes will be that team like Red Bull were in the in 2017 where you could spring a few surprise results with you of course Ricardo in China and, and things like that those sort of results where on your day you will be the better car but just a, a quick one on Hamilton's seven wins in um in Montreal it's it puts some perspective into it when we say that Hamilton has won more times at one track well th- this track than Sergio Perez's entire career I know he's only been Red Bull a couple of years but you think with the dominance of that car he'd have more than six wins Leclerc again had a hugely dominant car for a large part of a two seasons five wins and you look at of course world champions even though of course there weren't as many races back then, John Surtees, Jochen Rint, Keke Rosberg, Giuseppe Farina, who I know Tim's a big, a big fan of, as always trying to bump him up in the, uh, the the rankings of where the drivers rank all time. But it's uh, it it really does show that, although he didn't add to that total this weekend, it's it really is quite the achievement. Yeah. Um. Speaking of one of those drivers you mentioned in that, you said Sergio Perez has six wins, and right now. I don't see him getting another one anytime soon. No, me too. I, I don't see how, I mean, it, it's getting now where is he number two driver quality? Because he's getting caught up by Alonso and you, we don't see them being caught this season. I don't think anyone can catch that Verstappen Red Bull pairing. And I wouldn't be surprised if they win out the season with that pairing. Uh, they don't look like they're having any reliability issues. And so what's going to stop them? rain he's on point so yeah where is Perez in all this and next season when you would hope it'd be closer is Perez going to be in a position where he can support as a number two driver um yeah I agree with everything that you've just said there um I actually think that if you look at the Alpha Tauri drivers you'd have to say opportunity missed to really apply some pressure for Yuki Tsunoda this weekend he's been having good weekend after good weekend after solid weekend and really really building and really improving his race craft we know he's got the speed I just feel like with if, if he'd shown a bit more speed today we would be saying Yuki is right there at the door knocking in and if Yuki has a couple of good races we know that he likes driving around Austria um coming up um if he had a couple of good races in the next few weeks could we really be saying Perez is under pressure going into the summer break. Well, I think he's under pressure, but I, I, I think it's more... I don't think Sonoda is Red Bull quality. That being said, they've had a, a habit of promoting too young and and not sticking with it at Red Bull. You look at a former Red Bull driver in Alex Albon, who, in my opinion, put together one of the best drives we've seen from any driver this season, bringing that Williams... It, oh, it was fantastic, wasn't it? It was fantastic. The it wasn't just the fact that 
yes, he played the strategy and he, he played the one stop. It was the lines and the awareness of the gaps to the carbs in that chain behind him that every single time he went out of that hairpin before the final chicane, before the long back straight, he knew that he had to get the line to get the better drive off the corner than Esteban Ocon. And he knew that he had to, in because of the DRS and him being at the front of the train, he had to open up that gap on the exit of the corner to give himself any chance further down the straight of, of hanging on. And yes, we know that Williams is slippery in a straight line, but to get that perfect line, the perfect exit, lap after lap after lap, it, it really was. It was fantastic to see. And I'm so happy for Alex because we all saw him come into that Toro Rosso as it was then, Alpha Tauri now, and we all thought, wow, the kid is quick. And when it went to Red Bull, obviously he lost the seat and we all thought, what has happened? But that is that is why Red Bull rated him so highly. And you heard Christian Horner talking to Sky after the race. He said, well, um, Checo was in his own little time zone and Max was out in front. So I spent more of my race watching Alex's fantastic drive than I did my own drivers for the second half of that race. And that is testament to the respect that he still holds in the most elite team in Formula One right now. It's definitely uh, one of those that you look at Alex Albon's drive and it has to be respected by everyone. And uh, these William upgrades are going to be huge because if that performance that we saw there can lift Alex Albon up to a, you know, the, the fringe of the points on a frequent basis. I know this is a track that suits Williams. It's a slippy track. But the races that are coming up, Austria, Silverstone, these are high speed tracks that could suit the Williams car. So without saying that Alex Albon is too good for Williams, because Williams is one of the historically brilliant teams in Formula One, they have got to, modern Williams have got to really push on if they want to keep a driver of his caliber. I I agree. And I think that with the team of, James Vowles and you see what it is so James Vowles has been there for what six seven months now since it was announced I think it was early January wasn't it that he was going to be leaving William Mercedes to go to Williams yeah um and he has said that he's been in there six months and he he was speaking last week actually before the Canadian Grand Prix about how far behind in terms of technology he said some of compared to the front runners, they're 15, 20 years behind in the technology that they have in the factories. Um, he said that he knows that he needs to rebuild the team, to not just to people with experience in Formula One, but in order to bring the team forward and keep it progressing forward, he needs to bring in people with knowledge of these modern systems. Of He needs to bring in people with knowledge of modern F1 who haven't just worked in that Williams factory, which is now so outdated and it's not through lack of trying or through lack of love. It was just through a lack of funding and a lack of direction before Doralton's capital came in. Yeah, the, the investment that comes with Williams now was investment it needed when Claire Williams took over. It's, well, if it's, you own 20 years back, then it needed that investment to keep progressing when it lost BMW. When it, I don't know, because, I mean, they it, were very it, competitive in 2014. Right, so the 2014, you have to remember that they had that Mercedes engine. And that Mercedes engine in 2014 was so far ahead of well, 15 every and other. 16 as well, to be honest. When Bottas was at, in, in that Williams, it was a competitive car. It, it would compete with Ferrari. And Ferrari, granted, they weren't 
the team they were or they they were last season, but they are or were still a strong team. And that Williams, you could say, was the fourth best team in the grid. But it then lacked its direction from then onwards and it fell down the order. It got the regulations wrong in 2017. And then because of this technological deficit that you mentioned of that uh, James Charles has, you know, put out there so publicly, it's never been able to recuperate from that. It's it's found itself at the back and each regulation changes. It's is its chance to, you know, call forward and it keeps you know failing to do that. But hopefully with these upgrades, we can see a team that can fight at the bottom of the points consistently. Yeah. And, it, and if they keep that rate of progression, who knows, in three, four years time, if you have a team built up between now and the next set of regulations for 2026, you could, you could have a Williams that gets that right. It's getting the right people in now in three or four years time with the way that the engine regulations and probably the aero regulations as well are going to be changed for, t- for 2026. It's going to be huge. We, we genuinely could see a very, very different Formula One with Williams coming back to the front, Audi, who knows if one of the other manufacturers... Andretti, like an Alpine, will that happen? Don't think so. <laughs> so that, we'll come back to it. We'll come back to that another time. I think that's for another podcast. But um, yeah, w- who's going to get it right in 2026? And right now, if I'm a driver in a Haas in an Al, maybe not an Alfa Romeo because they've got Audi coming in. If I'm if I'm in a second string team or a lower down the grid team, I'm looking at Williams and I'm thinking, right, I'm liking the signs that they've got coming out of this. I'm liking the development they've made already. I'm liking the fact that they've identified areas to improve in the next few years. And for a longer term team and a longer term project, it could even be Alex who brings them forward and really progresses them in the next couple of years. Yeah, and it really does put this result from Alex showing that these upgrades work. Grant and Williams said they knew would favour them. It really does put the pressure on Logan Sargent in these next two races in you know tracks that should also suit the Williams car. He's got to deliver. He's got to be up there, not fighting for 14th. He needs to be fighting for if he's battling for 14th. Something's gone wrong. He needs to be at least 12, a comfortable 12 in one of these um, two races. Unfortunately, they've told him that he definitely he definitely won't have the parts for Austria. That's I already been confirmed. Was, when was that confirmed? Because I heard on Saturday. On Saturday. <laughs> I heard today that team. he would. <laughs> oh, unless they've been able, unless they decided that they can now bring that forward. But definitely at the start of the weekend, he was looking at the next two race weekends after this one, saying the parts wouldn't be ready with spares. Because I think Alex was going. To, maybe they're going to give. Maybe they had spares for Alex. They haven't used this weekend that Logan will now get on the car. But that might be it. And I think also with the incidents they've been having at Williams, the crashes that had delayed these upgrades coming in to mm. this weekend. So this is where you know it'll be interesting to see. And I think another set of upgrades we can talk about, of course, is Aston Martin because it seems to be a little bit of an arms race going on between um, Aston and Mercedes at the moment, and Ferrari, of course. Uh, and I'm all for it because it makes that battle for second place on track that much more exciting. Yeah, it is. It's, um, I actually think that this weekend, I know we've said that Red Bull are so far ahead of the competition. And I know it's a comparison thing. I know that Verstappen wasn't under pressure this weekend. He wasn't as, and I know there was a safety car as well, but the safety car was early on in the race. 
um, when you consider a 70 lap race. He wasn't, and his gap wasn't that big. He wasn't 40, 50 seconds down the road. He was 20 seconds down the road. And he was 20 seconds down the road from an Alonso that was well, clearly nursing some sort end. of issue at the back it, of the car. It was nine seconds at the end. And what the Alonso issue was an interesting one. Um, so they... Their calculations were showing that Alonso was going to run out, run out of fuel. They thought they had an issue with the fuel system, but they were getting through more fuel than what they thought. So when they went back to the car, did they find more fuel than they expected well, to be in there? It, they. This is why Alonso was able to pull away at the end of the race, because he had actually fuel in reserve. OK. So this is where he was able to, you know. But there was he, also been, mention of a rear brake issue. As it well. wasn't a rear brake issue. No, that was what Mercedes thought it was. OK. Um, so they said to Hamilton that, oh, Alonso's got a rear brake issue, probably part to GM up, but also part because there was an issue that Alonso was supposedly having. And how do you fix that? Um, and now, of course, they're um, they come out and said, though, the issue was actually was with the fuel system. And they thought they were getting through more fuel than they really were. Um, okay. But they quickly they quickly got on top of that. Yeah, that's uh, that's good that they were able to adjust that. And um, yeah, it's. As you and then as you mentioned as well, Ferrari better race pace, much better tire management, as we'll get onto in a second, I'm sure, when we will compliment Ferrari strategist teams. And whoever thought we would be saying those words in 2023? Um, well, <laughs> <laughs> anyone who watched Le Mans potentially. Um, oh no, but I, no, but then I saw qualifying. <laughs> <laughs> then we saw qualifying. Um, before we get into into um, the mess of qualifying and, and Ferrari's, you know, usual mishap. Place. Let's finish off that second Let's talk about, yeah. Because, um, yeah, I think it's going to be fascinating. And I love that the fact that we know that Aston Martin have the resources and have the technologies and have the personnel to now fight in this. It's not going to be a, oh, Mercedes waltz up to Aston and walk past them with a DRS and drive away from them every week. It's going to be the fact that Aston going to be able to keep pace at least in the short term with Mercedes you would think for the minimum the rest of this season and hopefully into the future as well and if they can make inroads on Red Bull together if, if them pushing each other along pushes them into Red Bull then it's, it's great potential and I know F1 is all potential and a couple of races of actual delivering for the year um, but it's it's a really positive and a really good prospect for the next few seasons so that's why i completely agree with you. there's there's a real excitement that's dragging in and you know if only there was a way that you know rebel got pegged back if only someone had the power to uh you know penalize them for something that uh, <laughs> could have slowed them down a bit if only someone had thought to have done done that then uh, maybe we could have had a, this interesting fight at the front because i'd love to see max Verstappen having to fight for his wins at the moment it's it's management mode and you know, there's just it's just not that exciting i, I, um, I will i will say that as unexciting as it is and as much of it is management mode for max when he is needing to put in those moments like the, the pole lap on on saturday and considering where Perez was in those conditions, he was so in control of that car that I was frustrating though because Piastri of course binned it, and if Piastri hadn't binned it, 
I do wonder, would we have seen a different pulsed? Because it, there was a lot of that session where Alonso and Verstappen were just trading times. And yeah, everyone was going, oh yeah, Verstappen pole by 1.2 seconds. Yeah, well, that was from Nico Hulkenberg. Now, with all the due respect to Nico Hulkenberg, 1.2 seconds behind a Red Bull is where you expect him to be on a very good day. <laughs> uh, I think, I, yeah, all credit to Hulk. He was unlucky with that penalty. But um, so, um, yeah, so you say that it was 1.2 seconds. But in the wet, one, that has to shown in mixed and wet conditions in recent years that over a couple of laps, it can be very quick. And two, um, I think Alonso was on a better lap than what Hulkenberg had put in at the point of the red flag that effectively ended things. But he was still, I think the delta was 0.6 of a second off Verstappen through the second sector. So cause he was um, on the back straight when the, when the flag did come out and he was still going to be half a second to a second behind Verstappen. So it's more that you don't know what was going to come after. But the, but the weather was worsening in those conditions, so I don't think it would have... That's why Piastri crashed. I don't think it would have made much too much of a difference. Piastri crashed because Piastri decided that he wanted to get back on the power, and what he should have done was aborted his lap. He made the mistake, he was running wide, and then he tried to... On the wetter piece of track, well, the way that track was... Yeah, he, he, mm. he, he went Spinella on it, and... Um, <laughs> Spinella... He, he messed up uh, Piastri and that was a full full blown driver error accident, which was weird because the accidents we saw this weekend, they were all driver error. It wasn't, you know, someone pushing it beyond the limit. They These guys were hitting the wall because they were making mistakes. Oh, who was it? Was it Piastri who touched the wall in the race? One of the McLarens and that was pushing it to the, <laughs> to the limit. I for sure it was off the final corner in the latter stages of the race. Well, the McLaren's hit the wall. I think Alonso hit the wall. Um, but you know that that's pushing the limits, and that's that's yeah. that's fine. I mean, but the actual accidents, yeah, that's a different story. Should we get on to Ferrari strategy? We'll talk We've about Ferrari strategies. We we mentioned uh, it very briefly, but yeah, Ferrari strategy <laughs> came as a surprise to us all. Um, oh. I mean, in my opinion, though, um, the reason that Ferrari strategy was so good this weekend was uh, two things happened. One, when they went to make a mistake, the drivers countered them and said, no, I want to stay out. And they listened to their drivers. And when it came to making the right call, well, it was a pretty obvious decision. Do you pit and and do an excessively long stint on hard tyres, which, you know, for some people haven't been the the greatest race tyre? Or do you stay out and uh, gain the track position because you weren't making that position? You weren't making those places up in the early stints. Yeah, um, it was interesting what Carlos Sainz said after the race. He said, we knew that the soft tyre we couldn't race on. And he also said, we knew that, weirdly, the medium for our car was a lot better on higher fuel loads than the hard was. So going on to the hard later on, for them, was the better option, which you'd think it would be the other way around, given tyre compounds, but this is Ferrari. So logic doesn't <laughs> logic doesn't often come into it. But um any ideas on what option red were? That option red. Because yeah, uh, this is this is where I think that Ferrari have become such a meme. Tires. They, they, I think it's because Ferrari have become such a meme now. They're like, how do we conf- how do we you know make people not laugh at us when we say Plan D without even going through plans A, B, and C? 
this is what I feel like. What do you think? It's like a traffic light system in place of A, B, and C. Like, is that is that what we're going with? Here? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like option I, I, one I, I, was fitting to the hard tires under the safety car, and option two was staying out. Exactly that. Um, I, I honestly feel like option. I think I think it's red. I think it probably just. I think it's a traffic light system. I honestly think that they were just trying something different over the team radio thinking that oh yeah if we say plan a or plan b everyone will go oh well they're obviously now two stopping they're obviously now one stopping um and i think that's why they went for um that's why they went for plan or option red i think that was just to try and throw everyone off of you know knowing what they were going to do um but the truth is with for strategy no one knows what ferrari going to do including ferrari yeah, someone needs to tell them the car is already painted red. Um, <laughs> it doesn't make it any faster as much as you want to believe it does. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, at the moment I saw there was a there's an amazing graphic, and I did take a photo of it of um, after the or during the train the train behind the safety car, and every single driver on the grid is on hard tyres apart from the cars in fourth and fifth that are on the mediums. And when you see nine other Formula One teams, and that includes, what, 17 other drivers, all going, you're on the wrong tyre, you, you, you would believe in the moment that you thought Ferrari had messed it up. But not on this occasion. We were all very... I think everyone was very pleasantly surprised, actually, to stand corrected, because... We don't hate on Ferrari strategists because we want to hate on them. We we hate on them because we expect better and we want better for the for the Scuderia. And it's uh, it was it was nice to see them get it right. And you could see how much happier the drivers were with the call after the race as well. Their demeanour from Saturday and over where they'd overridden Leclerc and it meant he didn't get a lap on the dry tyres in Q2 when a lot of other drivers did and he. Well, that was that his was own the option. No, but he told them that was the option. He asked twice to no, come no, in. No, but he didn't. He didn't set the banker time on. He didn't set a competitive banker time on, on intermediates when he had the chance. And then he, so they decided to stay out and, and set a banker lap, which I get. I think that was the right call from Ferrari to set the banker lap. Mm. Um, I think you have for, to trust your drivers in those changing conditions, and they they didn't trust. But he didn't. But he didn't through. exactly trust himself, did he? He 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 says, or or shall we stay out and do a banker lap? Well, you gave them the opportunity but he to only, make a decision. He only said that on the second time of asking. And then after the after the session, he was very clear that he wanted to come in. So I, I, we don't hear all of the radio. Theory. Yeah, hindsight's a, hindsight's a wonderful thing. But yeah, I, I, I'm with Ferrari on that one. I think if Leclerc had not made that mistake in his first qualifying run, he would have got a pit when he wanted to pit and he would have avoided this. But he made the mistake. And so, you know, why... You know why is it such a surprise? Yeah. Um, um, but, but other, but otherwise for the weekend, good job Ferrari, well done. Yeah. And we hope that that's a stepping stone or like a building block. Um, we know that they, the car was good in Austria last year, weren't they? They were on for the one three before signs of engine blew up. Maybe even the one two where Leclerc won last year. So mm. use that going into Austria. Just use the momentum, use the build up, and hopefully you can use that as a stepping stone for the rest of your season now. So one thing, of course came as a surprise to us was of course Ferrari strategy but one thing doesn't come as a surprise to anyone is the best place to go get your 3D printed track wall art and that is from Tim that is from Apex Track ApexTracks.com the show sponsor for the podcast I know uh, I know we have a sponsor um, we still pinch ourselves sometimes <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Thank you, Joss, for that one, uh, for sponsoring us. Uh, but yeah, to uh, to support Joss and his wonderful business, uh, head to apextracks.com. That's A-P-E-X-T-R-A-X-S.com. And now, if it was only fitting with a football we're about to kick off, that we talk penalties. There are a lot of them this weekend. Lots given, lots not given. There have been a lot this season. It's an ongoing trend. This was the the pet. This was the penalty grid of the season, without even having to have any uh, engines. It was a yeah. uh, unusual one. So if we start with um, the big one from qualifying. Carlos Sainz. Now, I I'm thought you were going to go fan. with UK Hulkenberg. <laughs> no, I'm going yeah. with the Sainz one because this one this one could have been disastrous. In my opinion, it, yeah, signs guilty definitely should have been given a stronger grid drop. But to blame it solely on the driver, I think, isn't fair when you see that Ferrari have very, very recent history in failing to alert their drivers of others coming and their drivers being sat in the middle of the track. It's of course, they have with the clearing monster. It is six of one and half a dozen of the other. It's it's. As if you're a driver and you drive down the end of that straight time after time, lap after lap, Friday, Saturday and Sunday, you know that you're going to be on a hot lap. And I don't think it matters that it's Q3. I don't think it matters that you're warming your tyres. I think that you should know that you should not be on that racing line. Whatever the situation, doesn't matter who's coming behind you or not. You should not be sat in that position at the end of that straight. And oh, no. It was. If you're about to go, I get it though. If you're about to go, you want to be on the racing line to give yourself the best exit from the final corner. But, but, if, but you're not going to give yourself the best exit from the final corner in that situation if you were going that slowly. You are not carrying the maximum oh, speed you're going to take through the exit of that chicane, which is your maximum speed for when you cross the start finish line to start your lap. Well, this is where but, I wonder does Formula One, these, these last corner bunching incidents are scary and happen too often. Does Formula One need a rule where it goes, you must go from this point here. This is the go line. Once you're yeah. beyond this point, you have to go. If that's halfway down the straight in Canada, that's halfway down the straight and you have to go. You are committed by then. Yeah. Make it the DRS line. Make it the, D- the DRS line. That's halfway down that the yeah. say, imagine that happening in, um, say, Monza coming, heading into the Parabolica. You know, if you just said half, as soon as you come out of Ascari, you've got to go. Yeah. yeah. I think that's great. Um, what I also struck me as it was a visible difference because I watched it not, I, I watched it back because it was on at the same time as F1 qualifying, was I watched the Road America qualifying for the IndyCar. And what they have is they have a system where their actual start finish line for the lap is um, when it's on qualifying is moved. So it's not in front of the pit lane, it's moved to before the final corner and before the pit entry. So what you do if you have. Um, the timing being for the qualifying laps is three quarters of the way around the lap towards the end of the lap. And then as soon as you finish your qualifying lap, you can come straight back into the pit lane. And it resolves a lot of the slowdown lap issues. And it also means that drivers have less time on the warm up lap to get the heat into their tyres. And they're going to and they, and they do tend to drive quicker because of that. No, I, I think that might be a way to go. I, part of me always wonders, why is the start finish line, you know, or the pit lane, why is it there for qualifying? I, I agree. I think that you should be setting your your time at a certain point. I feel like you, you have to go for it, and uh, that's the way to go. I mean, it's difficult on some tracks. Some tracks don't lend themselves to it, but others oh, do. Oh, absolutely. I'm not suggesting that they do that around, for example, Monaco. But yeah, so I think that would be tricky. 
higher speed tracks. Yeah, higher speed tracks, Silverstone, Monza. You could have the um, start for your lap time at Interlagos at the bottom of the hill on the way up to Junkau. And that means that you don't have cars going slowly through that final sector, like where it's very high speed. Um, but Junkau is actually a perfect example of what we were saying about having a point where you go, because you don't see anyone cruising slowly up the hill at the start of your qualifying lap on the final corner of Brazil, because you know that you're going to start your qualifying lap 50, 100 miles an hour slower. And even in that distance from the start finish line to turn one, you're losing half a second and that's your chance of qualifying over. Yeah, no, exactly. And I say it's tricky because Formula One tracks are, are so, the, the crowd plays a big difference. You want the crowd, you know, a big crowd on the start finish line where the drivers are going to be going across, you know, and it, it gives that reaction. Um, you don't really, a lot of the other tracks don't really lend themselves to that. You sell, I say Silverstone because you've got the old pit straight. Um, but what, yeah, what do you do in other parts? I think the next one, of course, we'll talk about from qualifying, Hulkenberg. It's a weird one. We were speaking about this before we came on air, um, where we were saying it came from going too fast as a result of crossing the finish line under the red flag, just after the red flag at racing speed, having to then, you know, slow down because he was going, he thought he was going too fast, which he was going too fast, then having to speed up because he was going too slow, to then, you know, fail to keep to his delta because he went too fast under the red flag. It's it's an absolute mess. And I feel it could be easily avoided if you just said red flag, get back to the pits. You can go as slow as you want. Yeah, it, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because you brought up the uh, question of they could have potentially fined. They probably wouldn't have grid penalty him, but they could have fined Hulkenberg for two and going too slowly. But when Guan Yu Zhou had his problem at the start of qualifying, Nobody really questioned the fact that he was trying to drive it back round to the pits at walking speed once the red flag was out. And that could have resulted in a fine or some sort of penalty point for driving a car that was potentially broken or unsafe from the track. But nobody seems to have even done it. And what I'd also like to bring up in this instance is if we showed you the two incidents... So you say you had a rear-facing onboard and a front-facing onboard on Science's car and a rear-facing onboard and a front-facing onboard on Hulkenberg's car. You're going to say Science's one is going to be much worse from viewing and from a safety standpoint than the, than the Hulkenberg one. But they get the same penalty. And that is something that I don't know if F1 needs to review their penalty system about how many grid places can be applied. The severity of not just the effect it has on other drivers' lap times, but also the safety of themselves and other drivers need, should be taken into account more in how the penalty is applied. Because if they'd have said, right, Nico, you're going to get a one-place grid penalty, but Carlos, you're going to get a five, because that was endangering two or three other drivers as well as yourself, then... Well, do you remember Hamilton getting a, a two or a four-place penalty once? Yeah, that was um, before this set of rules, I believe. I, yeah, do, exactly. I do remember him getting a four-place penalty, but I believe it was before this set of rules came in. And um, it was for going too slow, or too, it was going too fast under the safety car. Yeah, or um, under, under yellow, double yellow conditions. But this one, don't, don't you mean it was for unsportsmanlike behaviour under the safety? No, well, no. <laughs> I, I read into this one because this is another one we'll talk about. Landon Norris, unsportsmanlike behaviour. Yes, it completely was unsportsmanlike. Um, he's a very sporting guy, but the problem is this was unsportsmanlike. He was not making a gap for himself, but he was also using the fact that you can't overtake under the safety car to hold up other drivers. Drivers that, you know, 
in a double stack would have got past him in a normal double stack. He was three seconds behind Piastri when the safety car came out, but entered the pit lane seven seconds after, of which point he held up um, Perez and Leclerc, I believe it was. Oh, not yeah. Perez. And, then, it, and then can we point out as well that McLaren still botched this stop? Yeah, 4.3 second stop and then sent him straight into the side of Alex Albon on the exit of the... <laughs> well, we'll, we'll talk about that as well. But first of all, the unsportsmanlike penalty. Yeah, it was unsportsmanlike. I don't like drivers backing up for, to, to make a gap for themselves. And it was completely fine for, for the FIA to describe it the way they did. Um, Tim, I don't know what your thoughts on that. Yeah, um, I, I do agree. I do agree with the penalty for Norris for that. Um it's just blatantly trying to get his own team a benefit. If they want to double stack, he should be made to wait there in, in that situation. That's the situation that the that the safety car dealt them. They they should be. And this is, again, why in a race condition, you do need a minimum speed delta. Because what's to stop someone going, you can't pass me and just driving at 20 miles an hour and giving their teammate a minute lead. I'm, <laughs> saying, I'm only saying red flags here. I'm saying red flags. Yeah, okay, fair so. enough. <laughs> what? I'm going to say now is how about the three no calls that were in the uh, in the race? So we had three unsafe releases or potential unsafe releases in the uh, in the safety car window. Uh, first one, Hamilton on Alonso. I think Alonso was trying to sell that and it wasn't a close call. I agree. I I actually think that in that situation where it is a really busy pit lane, you know, everyone's coming in on the same lap, not that far from a virtual safety car restart with the actual safety car coming out and the field still being fairly close together on that lap when they come round to the back of the safety car. I don't want to say there should be more leniency, but the pit stops are in a the pit crews are in a race against each other in that situation. Yes, obviously you can't drive into the side of someone coming out of your pit box, but if you can make a place or hold a place by your pit stop being better or good enough in that moment, then you can't take away the driver drivability factor of you, that's your chance to make a difference, make a make a place. Um, that's where I feel that those. I, I would actually say that both of the, the Nor- both of those under that. The, I think the Norris one was probably a tighter situation than the Alonso one, but the Alonso Hamilton one definitely wasn't a penalty. Yeah, one. I agree. I think if one of them, if one of those two was going to be a penalty, it would have been the Norris one. However, the other one I'm talking that happened was De Vries or Magnussen. Oh, I don't remember that one. Yeah. Uh, another one, and I felt this one wasn't. I saw this one. I believe this was. Uh, yeah, I'm sure it's the reason because they had it was they were both under investigation before they had their squabble on track, and I'm pretty sure it was down to an unsafe release. Of course, I mean, you know, you try to pay attention to these races as much as possible, but when De Vries is on TV, it's it's not exactly the most entertaining thing, and he's battling a Haas, which has got no race pace. Um, this may be one of the chances that you take to glance at your phone and check F1 Twitter or whatever, whatever your, your Facebook group chats. But there was an investigation going on of which I felt DeVries was the wrong party and there should have been a penalty coming. And then they had their battle on track. And in their battle on track, they got toast, they got squabbly, and they, they scored through turns one, two, three. And they had the right hander where De Vries outbraked himself and just took Paul Magnussen off the track. Magnussen just had no choice but to go deep. And I feel like that should be punishable. There was a point when I thought um, when they were both in the escape road 
Yeah, that's and I it. thought, and I thought at this point, Magnussen is just going to park his car and top block to breathe in, and I wouldn't have blamed him because one, the world, the F1 community would probably feel much safer for Nick de Vries not being on track, and two, Kevin Magnussen would have had every right to do that at that point, having had his race ruined twice by the same guy who, at this point, I don't know, he, he surely how is how is he not accumulating penalty points that an alarming rate at this at this stage of the season. I mean, he's only got one or two so far, but it feels like he should have about ten. It does feel like. I mean, he he, he feels very very out of his depth. I mean, he was a great one race substitute, and I thought, oh, maybe he'll make it. But it's proven that he was a one race a, a one race wonder. Uh, he was a Marcus Finkelhock, and the goat. <laughs> The coach, yeah, he a great one race, a great one race driver, but no, nothing. Uh, at least, at least, at least, uh, but Marcus Winkelhock never even got a second race in Formula One. Yeah, De Vries arguably shouldn't have. In 2007. Yeah, but arguably De Vries shouldn't have had one either because you know he's not exactly shown like he's justified to having that seat. I mean, there are drivers. You know, that have been forced out of the Red Bull program that are much more deserving of that seat. Yeah, I, I agree. I just want to give a special mention before we do finish the podcast to a strategy brain moment of the season so far for me. Pierre Gasly starting on the soft tyre. <laughs> I wouldn't call it strategy brain. I call it str- anything but. Oh, exactly. Um, oh, hence the sarcasm. Um, um, what I don't, a miserable. I know. I know he was screwed over by science in qualifying, but what a miserable race for that man. I I thought <laughs> sometimes Alpine they run out of ideas very quick. Yeah. If they get it right, they're brilliant. But if they don't get it right, I feel like they get it. You know, they 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 yeah. scramble and they do not recover. I can't think of seeing an Alpine driver have a good recovery drive this season. Yeah, fair play. Oh no, didn't um the first race of the season didn't one of them start. 20th and finish sixth. Oh, oh yeah, Gasly came up. Yeah, Gasly. I don't think it was sixth, but it was, you know. In the points. That was a good Yeah, but race. first race of the season is always a bit of an outlier, I felt. Ocon's putting him to the sword a bit, isn't he? Mm. So far. Got the podium, got the much greater consistency in the last few races. Everyone is surprised, but Ocon is as good a driver as Gasly, in my opinion. I mean, I think, I think we're seeing he's better. I think the thing is, everyone thinks Gasly's better because he's got the drive to survive fan club which, you know, Ocon doesn't have. It's There are people who have come into watching Formula One and they are big fans of Pierre Gasly. Uh, and that's because the way he's been depicted on Drive to Survive has been one of those, you know, brilliant, young, you know, up-and-coming drivers, entertaining to watch and, like, see the nice he guys is, He is around. a personality. And he he's a personality. But a... then you see how Ocon was depicted as the guy who stole... Nico Hulkenberg's seat and something and stuff like that. It's yeah, and then also um, if you go back to I think it was on the first season of Drive to Survive, the was it Ocon and Perez was that the yeah. first season of Drive to Survive? And if I was giving you the option of for that second Red Bull seat next season, if I'm giving you Ocon or Perez right now, I know where my money's going. My money's my my money's going on Perez still because Ocon will get vetoed by Verstappen still. That's a good point. Well, at least it's not putting um, Danny Kibia back in. <laughs> right, he turned down a Ferrari drive allegedly. Um, 
Uh, anyway, oh, we'll say we'll say that for another time because we didn't even wrap it up. Oh, I had a great Giovanazzi story ready to go. Oh, there. yeah, I'll get the Giovanazzi story. We'll finish with Tim's uh, Giovanazzi story. Uh, uh, so, um, everyone saw brilliant uh, Italian Jesus won the Mon the other week uh, with Ferrari under the Ferrari colours. Everyone was celebrating. Um, I saw a great story talking about when he's just been um, when he'd lost out on his Formula One seat to Carlos Sainz on the season that they signed science and apparently he was told by Mattia Bonotto and this is according to his words um yes we are signing science but we are signing science as a long-term number two if you stay in Formula One and in and around the paddock you will be our number one driver when we lose Charles Leclerc And on that note, it probably is time to wrap it up. I mean, science got heavily number two this weekend. It was a case of, oh, yeah, Carlos will not attack. No, I agree with Ferrari on that strategy. I wholeheartedly, they were not getting third. They were not catching the Alonso-Hamilton battle. And Perez was behind them. If they battled with each other, one of them picked up damage. They ruined their tyres, which they knew were going to be ropey for the last 10, 15 laps on the hards. Then any little difference in that Ferrari strategy once they've made their pit stops could have cost them places. They called it so early though. They but that's because so, that's the, the problem. The they called it so early. So early. The race was set for them so early. They couldn't I, I just I feel like they could have tried as a science fan. I know I'm speaking as a science fan, but I just feel like if Carlos Sainz could have shown that he could have closed that within a second, given the fact that he again said he had more pace, why couldn't he be allowed to, you know, try? Just have a go. See if you can make a, a clean pass under DRS. If you can't make a oh oh what oh oh we should wrap it up. Um yeah. Sorry, I've been distracted by the football. Harry Kane has just uh, assaulted a, a, a Maltese. Yeah, well they both need to be in quite a lot of pain. Oh no, then sorry, it's North Macedonia, isn't it? North Macedonia, I say assaulted. They they have both gone for a header and I mean the, the Harry Kane's in a bit of discomfort, <laughs> but the other lads come off a lot worse. Um okay. yeah, anyway. Right. We will wrap it up. Uh, if you've enjoyed listening to the podcast before we got distracted by sports again, uh, usually it's IndyCar, this time it's football. But anyway, um, yeah, <laughs> we hope you've enjoyed listening to the podcast. Check out the bio um, where you'll find a link to all our socials and everything like that. And um, yeah, <laughs> until next time, thank you very much for listening. Cheerio, guys. Very long.